0: how could this uh, scale and pivot? So how can this one thing turn into everything? And you look at companies like, you look at companies like uh, Amazon, it was just for what? Books, right? It was just books and that thing turned into everything. Or if you look at eBay, eBay was Beanie Babies. I think it was just for Beanie Babies. Like, and I think Pez dispensers, it was shit yes, like that in the yes, beginning. stuff like that. And then that just turned into just everything. You know, and then you said something interesting earlier. It was like, how can you build something that hasn't been built, but then everyone's going to try to follow that in the future? Uh, It's in a great book called Play Bigger (laughs) that I will be reading soon. Thank you. Uh, But yeah, just looking at companies that are uh, starting off as something like really specific or niche in their own category that, that they're really focused on and then- they'll just expand that into all other categories.
1: Thanks for pressing play. That voice you just heard is none other than Golden State Warrior NBA champion, Andre Iguodala. And this is a special reissue episode of Christopher Lockhead, Folly Your Different, the podcast for people who value real, different conversations about business and life. We are sponsored by Oracle NetSuite, Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com/different. And while you're there, you'll be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Now, this is a reissue of a conversation I had late last November or early December with Andre Iguodala. He's an NBA world champion. He's been the finals of the uh, uh, the MVP of the finals. And, um, you know, we've gotten a lot of requests to reissue this as a celebration of the NBA finals that are going on right now. Andre gives us an insider's view of what it's like to play and win in the NBA and what it's like to be on the incredible team that the Warriors are. And we get some unique insights into his approach into investing in Silicon Valley startups. That's right. Andre is an angel investor. As well, we're also celebrating the launch of his new book called The Sixth man which comes out june 25th 2019 andre's new book now for more on his book and his background and key takeaways from this episode go to lockhead.com and check out the show notes now hey ho let's go How you doing, Andre? I'm good. Thank you so much for
0: coming. I'm no, stoked to see you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Nice watch, by the way. Thank
1: you. Are you, are you a
0: Panerai guy or a watch guy? I'm a little bit of a watch guy. I have a nice Panerai. Here, I'll show you that's, this one. My this
1: nice. I like my the band. wife got me this one for our uh, anniversary.
0: Oh, she picks out great gifts. Yeah, she's a
1: she's a hell of a lady. Mm. I started. I got my first one of those in I want to say 1997. <laughs> mm. Oh wow. Yeah, there weren't very many of them around. Now they've gotten
0: pretty popular. Yes, yes. Um, My first, my first timepiece was a Panerai. Unfortunately, uh, I got robbed. No way! Somebody stole your first Panerai. (laughs) Yeah, my first timepiece. It was in the garden, Madison Square Garden, during the game. What? It was in my shoe. Yeah, it came. Actually, I came back from the game. Game's over, and I go take a shower. I see it's in my shoe. I saw it in my shoe. And my teammate was next to me. He's like, I saw it in your shoe. And the media was in there. As a bunch of people went to take a shower, came back. It was gone.
1: That is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing cool about and that. And it was, it
0: was a, a limited edition piece, so I couldn't find it again. Although I got the insurance money, I couldn't find a watch again. Did
1: you contact uh, the Panerai guys and say, hey, I'm, a, I'm Andre. Can you hook me
0: I up? Wasn't, I wasn't Andre. The Andre that I am now I wasn't that Andre then, so. It wouldn't have worked.
1: I bet you've made up for it since then.
0: I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. That was funny.
1: And uh, so, are you still a watch guy these days? Or?
0: I am. I am. I'm. Uh, there's a few places that I, I frequently uh, browse and see what's going on in the watch world. So uh, it takes me a long time to buy a watch now. Like I, I study a watch for about two or three years before I pull the trigger. It takes me a while. Two or three years. Yeah, yeah. I finally pulled the trigger on like. It's funny. It's like you was like, okay, this is my dream watch, and then you can get it. It's like, all right, what do I do now? It took me about three years to pull the trigger on it, though. So, yeah. do you mind disclosing? It, was a, Richard, it, was, to it me? was a Richard Mille RM30. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me a while.
1: And you? I bet you did a lot of reading on that. I did a lot Watched of some videos and
0: a couple. Yes, yes. And then I've seen a few people with it. Um. Yeah.
1: So you must be a pretty analytical guy.
0: Um, I would like to think I'm balanced, but I'm probably analytical. Yes, I would say that. Yeah. Probably, I probably overanalyze at times.
1: Do you? Yes. And do you consider yourself more of an introvert or an extrovert?
0: Oh, you probably have to I have to ask my wife that. I'm a, I don't know. I can't, I, you know, I'm, I'm both the extremes at times. It just depends. I'm a little moody. I will be honest about that. So it depends on the day. But I'm, I'm a people person. I'm a people person, and uh, I can pretty much uh, interact with anybody. Yeah. Like, anybody. My wife, she, she uses that against me. She was like, you find some type of way to interact with just anybody. Because, you know, just the attention that comes with being a professional athlete was, uh, you know, whatever they call success. And especially in the Bay Area right now, you interact with a lot of people, and it, it kind of intrude on your personal life. so." you know, she's, I understand where she's coming from. She was like, sometimes just don't interact as much. <laughs> but then there's other times where I'm just like, I don't want to be bothered. Yeah. Especially if I'm playing bad on a golf course. It's like, <laughs> don't talk to me. <laughs> so so just, if someone's going to come up to you on a golf course,
1: they need to figure out how good the is going if you first. if I'm playing
0: good or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: and, uh, you know, what's it like for you to be here in the Bay area and be so high profile? I mean, is it, people must come up to you all the time.
0: Yeah, for me it's um it's natural. You have to be very aware of your surroundings. Like kind of knowing the scene before you get there or just laying like like having a lay of the land at all times, like seeing who's around like okay, there's a guy over there. He's probably going to ask for an autograph in about 5 or 10 minutes. And then there's another guy over here with some kids. I see that. It's kind of like you have to you have to always be on and some it's just good and bad, like you know it helps you just just be you know I do a little bit of meditating and it says just be aware of the right now and and I try to be aware of the right now, but uh sometimes it can be a little overwhelming where you're just like you're trying to figure out what's going on there's too much going on so yeah it's it's good um the good thing is that I've been in other places. So I've seen good, I've seen bad, I've seen it all. So this is definitely like the, the creme de la creme. You know, Living here in the Bay Area. As far as like just interacting with the people that are here, the area, uh, the family loves it, the schools are amazing. So it's like, you know, I, it, it's 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 great, it's great, it's great. Like everyone's, I haven't had, interacted with a bad fan. I probably had one. I've had one bad fan I've interacted with. But everyone else is in five years, that's, that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, and- I- yeah. What would anybody have to say bad about you? <laughs> I can't uh, even imagine. I think this
0: guy, he was just, it was one of those days I was just starving and I was just trying to walk to get some food and I was grabbing some food and I was just walking down the street and he honked his horn from like far and that kind of like throws me off when someone just honks and yells at my name. It's like, it's like, all right, hi, how you doing? And I just waved, but I had, I kept walking and then he like hit a U turn in the street and he pulled up and was like, you can't say hi to your fan? I'm like, whoa. It, that was a, that was yeah. interesting, and I was just like, I was, I was like, that was like one of those situations where it's like, okay, it could go any way, and I was like, all right, you just let me know whatever it is you want to happen next. Yeah, but it, I mean, it didn't escalate too bad. Do you ever
1: feel, uh, you know, threatened or like a little spooky or like
0: something bad or weird could go down? Um, not really. No. I mean, I've been I've been doing it in it a long time. Yeah. F- fifteen years is a long time to be be an athlete in any sport, so, um, and I've been in places where it can get really hostile really quick in other places, so I, I, I just see, like I said, you always got to know the lay of the land, like who's around, like, you know, seeing who you're dealing with before they even approach you, and you kind of have a good sense of, you know, what could possibly trigger them or what they could do to trigger you, and then how to have a smooth interaction and get in and out. So yeah. you just deal with a lot of people. You just learn it yeah. along the way. Yeah. So if
1: I understand your background, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you essentially picked the Bay Area, did you not?
0: Yes. Yeah. So I was a free and agent.
1: A little bit different than maybe some other athletes. Is that is that right? I mean,
0: well, I mean, it was. Um, it was a little different because the basketball team here had, hadn't had that type of success ever the warriors were the, the warriors we know today right Right, but i saw kind of a trend like like i said i've always like you know i always talk about you know um uh, the good and the bad in my career before i got here and then i had some i had a lot of success in philadelphia but i also had some times where it wasn't as you know uh it wasn't sunshine you know it was a lot of rainy and muggy days as far as like the mood so um and then, I, you know, you watch the NBA a lot. And then I played one-year in Denver where we had a lot of success and uh, we didn't do well in the playoffs, injury, whatever. So, I mean, I, just watching the basketball a lot and seeing, like, what's trending, you know, uh, as far as uh, ownership group or a GM or a front office or a coaching staff and just wanting to be a place where I can just enjoy to play the game of basketball. You watch your opponents a lot. You start like you when you play against those guys, you see it's like a certain joy, like who's having fun and who doesn't like their coach and blah, blah, blah. You start seeing that things. And I just paid attention. And like I said, kind of being aware of your surroundings. So, yeah, um, that's what kind of brought me here. Now, you guys that. look like you're having a ton of fun out there mm-hmm. a lot of the time. We are. We're having a lot of
1: fun. and I mean, you look like, I mean, this is a total compliment. You mm-hmm. look like kids out there
0: sometimes. Right, and, and, and that's pretty much the objective. And I uh, started with Mark Jackson, the head coach, and he, he's one of those guys. He played, and he understands the, the ups and downs of, of playing in the NBA and just the environment and the mood of the team can really affect the performance on the court. So he was always like, listen, we're going to work hard. We're going to play hard. We're going to compete. You're going to fight. You know, I'm going to coach you. But one thing I'm going to do is let you do what you do, and you're going to enjoy doing what you do. And then that kind of, you know, once you have that as the core, everyone everyone can uh, appreciate um, that mentality that the coach has and that he supports everyone and wants everyone to succeed. And, um, you know, when you, when you have great people as well as players like Steph Curry and, and, and Clay Thompson, the uh, rookies they brought in, Draymond Green as well. Um It kind of, you build that culture and then you just bring in guys who kind of fit that mode. And from there, things has been going with really well. So you said something super
1: interesting there. You said build that culture. Mm -hmm. Maybe tell me a little bit more about that.
0: Right. So, I mean, a lot of people say in order to have success, you know, you have to have the best talent, which is true, but you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the right culture, uh, if their personalities don't fit, uh, there's, there's going to be, uh. A Lot of uh dysfunction. Um, you know, I've seen it you know from other teams. You know, this guy's great and this guy's great, but they go they go opposite ways, they're never on the same page, they're never on the same um path, they're, they're never moving at the same pace. You know, it's like uh, what's it, rowing? You see, he's rowing, you see like eight people rowing at once, they're all on the same, they're like a machine, it's like a machine, and uh. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of teams being out of sync. And um it's a lot of things that go into having success outside of talent. And you know, there's there's egos involved, um, you know, there's 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 fame, there's money, uh shoe contracts, endorsements, all those things come into play. Uh it, just all across sports, especially when you're talking about team and when you're dealing with a lot of dollars. and you're young
1: when this happens and, to you, and right? You're
0: very young. So, you know, um, when you we talk about businesses, um, most businesses, you know, the CEOs are, you know, they're, they're older than the old athlete, you know. Right. Like, I'm the old athlete. I'm 34. Right. I'm, I'm like one of the oldest guys in the entire league. And when you see CEOs running companies, you know. And in business, they, you're young. And in the right. tech industry, at 34, you know, based
1: on my experience, you're hitting your stride. Right. You're sort right. of. I don't know. Maybe it would be thirty-four in business. Certainly in the tech industry, might be the equivalent of maybe twenty-seven
0: or so as right. an athlete. Twenty-six, like twenty-seven. Yeah. Right, right, right. But as like my age now is like you're looking to you're looking to next. Like I'm trying to figure out what you're doing. Like we spoke about that when I walked in. It's like you know this is this is your volleyball court after school. So I'm asking those questions because that's me. Like soon. Well, I'm happy to give <laughs> you anything I got. <laughs> so you see that in uh, in sports is like. That's a small window. So every, so you got to everyone on the same page within that small window of the, uh, they're peaking with their talent. So you want to have the best talent, but you also have the right personalities. You got to have the right coach. You want to have the right front office, the ownership group that stands behind whatever you're trying to build. So that's what that culture you're trying to build, putting those right pieces together. And even if you have a, a superstar talent that doesn't quite fit the mold, you want to surround them with the right guys that fit that mold to kind of mold him into – everything else, whether it's off the court or some things that might be his weaknesses on the court. So uh, I think that's what uh, the team has been able to do really well here is find the right personalities to fit the culture that we've been trying, that we have built here. And one of the things I'm curious to ask you about, it seems
1: like as you were building the team, there was an insight around the three point shot. Mm -hmm. And I, I, You know, I'm a fan, but I'm not like a mega fan, so you'll excuse me for not knowing all Mm -hmm. the intricacies. But it my understanding of, you know, the game, if I go back to watching, you know, the Bulls when I was younger and was the strategy was always bigger and bigger guys get closer and closer um you know to the net, get into the paint and, and shoot like that. And and you guys really mixed it up by Making the three a huge weapon. and so it seemed like the competition even today doesn't really know should we go should we head towards the net or should we go, should we stay out here because you're gonna shoot a three or they they never seem to know what you're gonna do, mm. and part of it's because you have this weapon that other teams don't seem to have. Is that a fair assessment or am I not looking at it right?
0: It's a fair it's fair as to what everyone thinks. you know everyone, okay. everyone thinks it's like, okay, they just shoot threes, they just shoot threes and then the NBA has become this league where. We've been able to play so well, and everyone's gravitated towards the way that we play. We play basketball at its purest form, some would say. Um, and you see a lot of threes because we have two of the best three-point shooters of all time. But you guys well, we also have, pass we have, like crazy. We have three of the best three-point yeah. point shooters of all time. Yep. We started with two, so yeah. But people tend to forget these. This really important thing that we've always done well and i you talking about passing passing is very important but it's this thing we do really well that's always overlooked and uh, Draymond Green spoke on it this year it was how good we've been defensively so with mm-hmm. Mark Jackson we were like top 2 or top 3 in the league defensively so you can score all the points you want in the world the old warriors teams did that you know they scored you know 130 120 points a game and and uh, they were struggling to get out the first round or struggling to get to the playoffs every single year is there a defensive aspect? So we're very um, balanced uh, on both ends of the floor, but the three point shot is just, it looks so good the way our two or three guys do it that everyone tends to forget about the little things. You know, there's always yeah. those little things uh, or the, the non sexy things that go on behind closed doors that, yeah, that really help you get over that, to help you get to the top and stay there consistently that people tend to forget about. Like people, everyone forgets about hard work. Like, people just see you as a successful person, and they're like, wow, I would love to trade uh, places with you. And it was like, you know, you wouldn't stand a chance. Like, you do realize you got to work really hard in between everything you see on TV. Like, you see me on TV for five minutes. the other 24 hours. Um, no, 23 hours and 30 minutes. No, 23 hours and <laughs> 55 minutes. I'm working my tail off. Like, this is not a game. It's not a joke. I just, you know you've of, been doing that since what age? I've been playing basketball since like five or six. Like, you know. But it started with a joy. Like, I mean, that's what, you know, it's a book I was reading, um, about Passion Meets Perseverance. I forgot the name of it. I just know that's right after the headline, Passion Meets Perseverance. And the hardest thing is to, people don't know how to work hard, but they have a passion. Or people work People have a passion, just don't know what to put it into. Like, they're, they don't know what's their calling. So yeah. it's always, it's hard to find one of them, but it's hard to find both. You know, some people don't find either one. They don't want to work hard, and they don't have a passion. But when you mix those two things, it's like, will you, will you really do something for free? That's when you know you have a passion for it. And then people will say, yeah, I would do it free, but it's only a small amount. But so I was just talking to someone. That was a really good point they brought up. They was like, everyone is not put on earth to be special like you know everyone isn't supposed to be special like you that's just, a hard thing for a lot of people to hear right it's hard it's like, to digest because today you know
1: you hear parents and right. you know I, I was just at my uh nephew's uh soccer game mm-hmm. and every time they kick the ball and don't score all the parents are clapping going good try good try and I'm sitting there going good try <laughs> First of all, that looked real shitty to me. And second of all, didn't you see Star Wars? Like, there is no try. Isn't that what Yoda said? Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, you can't, I can't open my mouth and say that because somebody's going to elbow me and say, hey, you grumpy, don't say that.
0: We're in a little bit of a sensitive era as well. I think with our kids, we're in a sensitive era where, you know, um, we don't want to upset them or we don't want them to deal with failure. And it's like, that's how you become who you are is, experiencing failure and knowing how to like fail and then give back up and then it's like okay why did I fail and then how do I stop that from happening again do you feel like in your own
1: head you've failed more than you've succeeded or how, how do you think about failure
0: um I don't really think of it as failure I just think of it as just that's just something I was supposed to go through like I don't yeah. think of it as failure like oh, I didn't failed I'm just glad I went through it because if you know I learned a whole lot going through that experience. like and Sometimes uh, you say, I'm really glad it's over too, right? <laughs> You're yeah, right. Sometimes you say like, I'm, I, I get a little too in depth sometimes. It's like, okay, what, what was what was it like going through that? Like I relive it and it was like, man, that was like crazy miserable, but look how I came out on the other side of it. I mean, if I understand correctly, you had some tough times in Philadelphia. Right. Just through, throughout life too. Like not just in Philadelphia, but like college. Like I never really speak about the tough times I went through college. Like that's when I, was uh, suffering from uh, sleep deprivation. Like, I didn't, my sophomore year, I stopped going to sleep. Wow. Because, like, I never, I tell people all the time, like, I never, I was a late bloomer as far as my confidence. Like, I didn't know I was good enough to play in the NBA. And I played. I'd until what age, Andre? 20, until, like, I drafted. Like. Really? So even as you were getting drafted, you weren't sure you were going right. to be so good enough. Right. So funny is, like, uh, you going to the draft. I was like, I'm going to the draft. And even before that, it was like agents were showing up to my game. I remember an agent showed up to my game and he ran into me after the game. And I was like, who was this guy? He was like, yo, I just wanted to say hi. I'm not breaking any. I was like, I don't know if I'm breaking any rules. I don't know what to do right now. He's like, no, nah, it's all good. Like, it's all good. Like, I'm not here to give you anything. Just, you know, to, to let you know, like, I'm a fan. I would love to represent you at some point whenever you decide college is over. I was like, I was like, what you mean? Like. Represent me for what? He was like, for the NBA. I'm like, the NBA, NBA? He was like, he was like, yeah. No, the NBA, is there some other NBA maybe? <laughs> he, <like>, <laughs> he was like, are you crazy? I was like, man, coach just told me that I was, I got so, I got, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. He was like, that's because he don't want you to leave. And then that's when your mind gets opened up to so much stuff. And it's like, oh man, like there's a really, there's a really big machine called, College sports and there's so much money behind it, and you don't know it when you're 18, 19 years old, right? And you're you're just enjoying being on campus and enjoying just the whole college experience. And you, yeah, you know you're on TV playing basketball. You know you're just trying to improve every day. But it, it once you start, once everything that surrounds it comes into play, you have to grow up quicker than you thought because you grow up and like uh, once someone gives you the information it's like damn I got to grow up in like five minutes like right there (laughs) on the spot you have to grow up it's like now I understand like how much money is involved with me playing basketball my likeness and who's profiting off of it and how much is actually worth and then me having an opportunity to be a professional athlete and change generations of whoever comes after me. Like, right. all that just goes So that, mind. that hits you at what age? It's like, at 19, tw- was I 19? Th- I was 19. When you first got drafted? I was 20 when I realized? got drafted, but when I first met the agent, it was like, I was 19. Yeah. It was like, whoa. But, but now, you know, they're trying to create athletes. They're trying to, they're trying to create athletes, uh, professional athletes at the age of like four or five. So they're preparing kids to be professionals way too young and that's why a lot of the kids don't make it whereas I was on the opposite end of the spectrum where I was late and I was like whoa and it just it just happened fast but all that was going on so I'm fighting with you know going out performing every night and then fighting with you know I even had a conversation with like a assistant athletic director uh, it was a couple of them and they were approaching me like you're, I heard you're not leaving school are you you're not going anywhere are you And I was like I haven't mentioned anything about it like now you guys are asking me, am I staying, which further lets me know that, oh, maybe I do have the skill set where before it was like no one was mentioning it because they didn't want to put it in my head. But it, it was, that it was, that was an interesting time. I wasn't sleeping at all. Like, So I was, do you think they were not looking out for your best interests or were they? Well, everyone, everyone is, your, your natural uh, human instinct is to look out for yourself. Right. And that goes back to the beginning of times where you, you got to hunt to kill. And the, the, the human emotion is set up to guard yourself. Like, everything is set up. So you guard your emotions, you guard your body from harm, all that. You know, it's, it's a funny book. It's a great book I just read. It was uh, Sapiens. I did an audio book, and then I uh, went all the way back. That was one of the, probably my favorite books I've ever read. You read
1: a lot, don't you?
0: I try to. I try to. I don't I don't. Uh, my son probably, my son and wife probably read more than I do. They remind a, me how old your son is. He's 11. They read a lot. Like that's his punishment where I gotta change his punishment. You know it's bad when you you punish a kid and it's like, go read. It's like, that ain't a punishment. Like he's, going to, reward. he's going to enjoy himself. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta make something else. So uh, my wife is pretty pretty strict about that that um reading. That's why it's funny. I was talking like, she's always like, well, you need to read a book I want you to read. So, <laughs> I always laugh about that, but we got a reading family. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And um, do they read the,
1: like a real physical book or they, they have Kindles or they read on computers? They read or? physical books.
0: They do. They read, they read physical. So I, the house is like a library. The house is really like a library. There's books everywhere. It's upstairs, downstairs, bookshelves in a room, bookshelves in the kitchen, bookshelves in my son's room. Yeah, books everywhere. That's, Always. That's cool. Yeah.
1: And you know, I, I from time to time, will read a digital book, but I, I like to have a physical book. And I'm dyslexic. And so, um, you know, I, I want to really interact with a book. Mm -hmm. I, I underline things, I make notes and like, once I, I learned it was okay that it wasn't a library book when you owned it, you could do stuff with it, you know, Yes, that really helps me with retention. Yes, Even if I never go back and look at Mm -hmm. my notes in the Mm -hmm. margin or Mm -hmm. my underlines or my highlights or Mm -hmm. whatever, because, because I, I'm in, I'm playing with the book. I'm engaging
0: with the book. It's different than just for me, anyway, just looking at the words. Right, I do the same thing. I highlight, uh, write reminders or something that I brought back a memory. Write that down in a book. Um, I did. I did the uh, digital book for. Uh, I did a couple, maybe classes. Classes you can do them for because it's like it's classes. It's like ah, whatever. But uh, for the most part, yeah, yeah, 95 percent of the time is physical book. Yeah, and you yeah. you travel with physical books as well when you're on the road so much. I do. So I look kind of weird sometimes. He's like, "What do you, you always got a book in your hands?" Man, it's just, you play video games, I read books. Yeah. yeah. We all got our hobbies. Yeah, I'm not much of a video game guy,
1: so I'm kind of with you on the reading. Even though I'm dyslexic, I really like yeah, to read, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there a book or two as you were younger that really made a difference in your life?
0: Uh, My mother had both my uh, brother and me, uh, she, had, uh, she had me reading as well a lot. We read the newspaper a lot. Like, that was really big. Which newspaper did you read? The local paper, like the Springfield uh, State Journal Register. Yeah. SJR. So we used to read that all the time. and uh, We always had a sports section uh, to see, because it was always local sports in high school. So he was on the cover of the high or the, uh, sports section of our paper. It was a big deal. So like Your brother that. was? No, just in general. Oh, to see so, who was on the cover. So yeah. to, to see, like... If you were on the front page of the paper, like on a Saturday or a Sunday, at the sports section that was a big deal. So, yeah. like we had dreams of like when we were older in high school, we would be in the paper. So that was that was cool when it came back full circle. And you know, he's older than I am, so he was on the front page for a couple sports, and then I got to high school and I uh, did basketball and track, so I would be on the front page a lot. Do you, you remember the sports. first time you were on the front page of the home hometown paper? The first time it wasn't basketball; it was for track. Yeah, I was yeah. I was a pretty good high jumper, so um how tall are you I'm 6'6 yeah so um my sophomore year of high school was around the first time so that was that was pretty cool do you still have it my my mom definitely has it it's probably (laughs) it's probably laying around somewhere so yeah she has it somewhere (laughs) and
1: then do you remember the first time you were on the the cover of a major newspaper or magazine uh
0: major one probably in college yeah probably in college uh But it's funny like college is like there isn't much outside of what's going on at school like so you know it was like arizona and like that there was like two years where i didn't really know what was going on with the rest of the world you were in your own little arizona right so like sopranos was hot then i didn't watch that i'm like sopranos and then the wire was out i'm like the it was like an entourage so certain shows that were like my favorite shows they were going on at that time. I had no idea about none of that while I was at school. Like, you know, I watch Golf Channel and I watch Bloomberg and CNBC right now. I had no clue when none of that existed. Like in college, like I, there, I, there was no TV. Like I didn't know what was going on. It was just basketball, go to school and just, you know, I guess try to enjoy the uh, college experience. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have that much. I didn't have as much fun as I should have, but it all worked out for the good.
1: Well, it seems like it's working out. Okay. Today. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Like I went
0: there and I got my business done and I got out. So it worked. What did you study? Um, I was going to be an education major. So I did two years and then I left before. So I didn't. And then I took some classes, uh, in psychology and sociology, uh, after I left. So, uh, I would be like a sociology major. Yeah. If I was to finish. Yeah. Now I got to ask you a couple of things about basketball, of course,
1: mm-hmm. and sort of, uh, the, the first one is, what does it feel
0: like to win the championship? Um there's it, the difference. So the first one's pretty cool because you have no idea what's supposed to happen, and you have no idea what to do next. So it's like it's experiencing something for the first time, and it's like it's like that crazy high you get. And you're like, "What is this?" It's like at first, you don't believe that it's true, so it was like... It was like two minutes to go in the game, and I, I mean, obviously we're about to win. We think it's like we're about to win, we're about to win. But you got to get the two minutes over, and the other team's still playing hard. They're fighting. And It's like J.R. Smith wouldn't miss. He kept making threes. So it's like <laughs> this is never going to end. And then the clock just kept stopping. It's like man, we, we aren't going to win. Like was this, that the longest two minutes it ever? Was <laughs> so long. It was so long. And then finally, it's like the we's like we got the J.R. Smith missed, and Steph got the ball. And it's like, it's like five seconds. It's like, it's like, you just like looking around, you're like getting antsy. It's like, what, 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 was what? going on? What's going on? And the buzzer go off, Steph throws the ball in the air. And it's like, I was just so lost. I was just running around like this. Like, it was a maze. Like, I was just running around. If you watch me, I ran and chased the ball down and I just didn't know what to do next. <laughs> so that, that was whole experience was just amazing because you just didn't know what to do. It was like, um embracing the unknown like yeah like this is just this is incredible because you don't it's hard to plan that like that's like cliche or the politically correct answer or, or statement is to say you know i'm training and competing to win a championship like no all you can really do is train and prepare yourself to be the best version of yourself and to be the best version for the team that's all you can do yep everything else is out of your control pretty much like, like, like I said before, like everyone isn't put on Earth to be special or to be famous or to be a superstar, or to be rich, or whatever. Not everyone is put here to win a championship. You know, at the end of the day, what is it? Like you just, you just, you just want a championship in the sport. It's not yeah. like it's not like something that's like they make it up to be. You know, the hype behind it is the it's is, not. is the marketing machine, whatever. So. You can't. It's hard to really plan that. So, like that was fun, just this experience, and like, oh, it's like you're it supposed to happen, and then you get a little jaded once you win the second one, the third one. It's like, all right, we won it. We played hard. We did. It. Like they're fun, and we worked really hard. So you're more so the second and third one. You're more so enjoying the journey that led up to that, more so. Than Interesting. The actual moment once you win, you. Like once you win it now, it's like, we think about like, man, remember we got over this hurdle. Remember these guys were arguing. Remember uh, this guy's got hurt. Like, you know, last year we had a lot of injuries. We had to overcome that. This guy had to step up. He played well. This guy came in and he, he really got us over the hump during this stretch. Like the whole just culmination of that whole eight month journey, nine month journey, whatever it is. So you just, your perspective changes a little bit.
1: It's funny. Cause I, I find that in business as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, they think the ultimate is, well, we're going to start this company and then maybe in six or eight years or whatever, we'll IPO mm-hmm. and we'll be on the NYSE, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've been through that journey and uh, it's incredible. It's everything you could imagine. I mean, right. it's the only way I can relate to uh-huh. what you've been through. Yes. And then when you go through that, I was lucky to go through that at a pretty young age. Um, I, I wouldn't know that, I wouldn't say jaded, but the aha for me was exactly what you said, which is, the reward isn't the IPO. Right. The reward is actually that you get to play the whole thing. The The journey is the reward. And it yes. sounds corny, right? Yes. yes. But the reward is that you get to do it, right? Yes. And hopefully you get to do it again right. and again with more mm-hmm. great people and different, you know. And so I find that's interesting that you say that mm-hmm. because, yeah, in your world, that's the big carrot that we see. And it. Mm-hmm. But you now find the the journey, the I don't know where are you play. Where do you get on the next plane to go play next?
0: We play at home for a couple of games, then we go to L.A. Sunday. Yeah, we so is LA it
1: Sunday. as you're playing those next couple home games, or you're getting on that short flight to L.A. Is is that in your mind? It's like, hey man, the cool part is I get to play tonight, and I get to play tomorrow night, and we're going to L.A. And is that is that how your mind thinks about it, or how do you think about it?
0: Now I think about like I say, jaded, not to say it in a bad way, but I I we understand why certain things occur better than anyone else. Like we know certain matchups on TV for a certain reason. We understand how games are officiated, not to say that one team is supposed to win, but we understand like, okay, this game's gonna be called tight. This game's gonna be called loose. We understand how games are marketed. We understand how they do certain matchups, like this team plays this team. And you know, like, okay, this is the record between these two teams. so. You know, this team might get the edge a little bit on the call tonight. You know, because you know, have that equal balance. So that's what I mean by jaded. We see all that stuff, and it's like, okay, you know, uh, we can't blow everyone out because it wouldn't be fair. And then the narrative changes, and we 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 go a little conspiracy mode. So it, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 funny that we go through it, but it's not, it's not good for us. But I mean, to what the heck? But um, now I think we thinking like we break up the sections of it. Like, you know, it's 82 games. You can't be like, you're not going to be on high 82 times. Right. It's just impossible. Right. And, but we understand that our opponent is on high 82 times a year. Our opponent. Because specifically they're, pay, us, they're playing
1: you. Because, because they're when, us.
0: I mean, the shittiest teams in the league, when you show up, they, they play, sell out, they right? amazing. Like, we had one guy the other night, like, he just couldn't miss. And it was like, he. He hasn't made a shot all year. <laughs> he didn't miss tonight. Like he was just on fire. And but we we've learned to, uh, to understand that. So um, when I'm on the road, you know, I'm pretty much just. We have this thing now. It's like we're gonna laugh. We're gonna laugh as much as possible. We're gonna smile as much as possible. Uh, and we're gonna have fun. But we're gonna work hard while we do it. Yeah. You know, like we're just gonna we're gonna enjoy our, each other's company. Uh, we're gonna stay in the moment. We're staying in it now. So. That's pretty much like when I'm on a plane, it's like, all right, I'm going to get a little quick nap. I'm going to read this book or I'm going to laugh with the guys. Right. The laugh is the, the key word for, the, for me this year. And then what's
1: it like when it gets announced that you're now the MVP of the
0: finals? Um, it, it was funny because, you know, like Bob Myers was the first person to tell me he was like, man, like. He was just like, man, like everything you did, like you don't understand like how important it was. Because for me, it was like it wasn't a big deal to me. Like I never had the huge ego. I've had an ego before.
1: You sure. Know? I mean, you can't make it to where you are right, without right, some right, of that. Right. right? And
0: then I built the ego, especially in Philly, I had to build an ego to kind of protect myself. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you have to have an ego so you don't fall into certain traps or to keep yourself above they're trying to drag you towards you know what i mean so yeah i had to have it and i I had to have it to make myself you know do things that i wasn't quite comfortable with that i felt like i had to do and it was just a good like i said was one of those experiences i was glad i went through so you know but when i got here it was like it was like come off the bench it was like all right whatever like i get it i understand why so let's figure this out it was tough to do but you know, try, try not to complain about it ever, especially never in the open and just always was like, okay, this is the right fit, I understand why. It's like you're in a job and they move your, switch your positions, it's like, why would you move me over here? Like, I've always been really good at this. right? Like, why would you move me over here? But I saw why the move was needed. Like, I, I understood it from the coach's perspective. Which is- And was Coach Kurt and you know, look, kick me under the
1: table, but was he good about sort of explaining to you what was up and why this was the right
0: thing? Well, the good thing was that we came from the same basketball background as far as we had the same college coach. So, in college, is where you learn how to play. Like, you learn, you're supposed to learn all the fundamentals. You're supposed to be polished up, like turn a raw athlete into a basketball player. And no one did it better than Lou Dosen, Hmm. who was our college coach. So, we saw basketball the same way. So, So I was like. So, he was your John Wooden, so to speak. Right. So, I understood exactly what Steve was saying. I was like, I was like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Like, that's actually a good idea. Like, was I comfortable with it? It was hard to get comfortable with it because I wasn't used to it, and it's totally different. Right. So, all I was trying to do was make it make it work as best as I possibly could, and it worked. It, the time was perfect because it worked its best at the perfect time, which is at the end of the year, and right. So, because you got a little extra juice, right? Right, right. So it's and it's a long-ass season, isn't it? It's a long season. I like, mean, how I'm, long do the playoffs feel right. like they go on for 12 months? <laughs> yeah, the playoffs get stressed out, too. You know, they have to stress the dates out uh, for TV, uh, for the audience. So that's funny. The, uh, the finals is crazy because when we're at home, we play at 530. When we're on the road, we play at 830. Right. So it's like two totally different preparations for a basketball game. Yeah. So, like, those are funny. So, you like, you're, the games are over at, like, 1130, like. We like a nine o'clock start time one time, and the finals like, we? Every time we won, especially when the game's in Cleveland, we won twice in Cleveland. Like, we don't get out of the locker room till like 2 a.m. Wow. Yeah. So, and then we'll go to like, like the party at the team restaurant or whatever they buy. It'd be like four or five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and you don't even realize it because just the games just started so late. Yeah. 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 Are there any cities where you just don't like to play in? Uh, You can't technically answer that question Okay, sorry <laughs> But of course It's not the city It's just more or less um, We've been a little spoiled I would say Yeah So we get spoiled by LA You get spoiled by Chicago You get spoiled by New York Miami um, There's some sneaky cities that are really good as well Like um, What's a good sneaky city Like DC's great Toronto is one of the best cities in the NBA Really? Why do you say that? Guys love Toronto. Because Toronto is, uh, it's not New York. It's like a foreign New York. I mean, you can, it's great food. You can go anywhere, good good food. You can, there's a good nightlife there, guys say. Yep. Um, there's there's always something going on and to do. Some good people there. Surprisingly good food, right? Right. It's, it's good food. So like, diverse. It's so diverse. That's I think that is what it is as well. It's diverse. Um, guys is like guys like Toronto a yeah. lot. Like it doesn't. When I first got to NBA, it felt like we were in a different country. But like after about four or five years, it was like this don't feel like we're in another country. Right. Like this just feels like one another one of the cities, but a great city. Um, so like we get spoiled by those good cities. And then you go to those smaller cities where the hotel isn't quite four or five star. Right. And the, the room service ends at like nine. Right. And then there's <laughs> there's no like snack bar. You can't just grab something out the fridge, and you just get you become a product of your environment. So you just right. become accustomed to like really high end stuff, and and then you you forget you take for granted like what it was like when you were AU basketball or you went on a basketball trips and in, in, in high school and you were at the motel and two bedroom and you thought that was luxury. Yeah. That Roach so, motel. And right. Shit like that. Right. right. That That's what was, that's the funny thing. When you go from those terrible hotels and motels in high school to these high end and you forget. So when you do get like a, a hotel, that's like, it's like a West End or Marriott, Marriott. It's like, Oh, man, I, we, we can't stay here. I got to get out this hotel. That happens a lot. That's actually you know funny.
1: What? The same thing happens in business, right? <laughs> you start off, you're a nobody, you got no money, you can't afford to do any of that stuff. And then if you're successful and you become an executive and you're flying first class mm-hmm. and you get off the plane mm-hmm. and there's a guy with your name on it to pick you up yeah. and then he takes you to Chateau de la Ding Dong and, you yeah. know, the same
0: thing That's happens. That's a funny, actually, I got a funny story about planes. So every team pretty much is outfitted with... Uh, Delta planes and they're like fitted for NBA teams, so like the first. So you guys can actually sit in them, <laughs> right? So the first, so I guess the first, probably third of the plane, first twenty five percent of the plane is for the players. Big, huge chairs, plenty of room. Like you can throw all your luggage in front of you on the ground and still have room to kick your legs up. Like,
1: so if you're a shack size guy, you got room
0: for you and
1: your and gear. your bags.
0: You good? You good to go? And uh they they just recently redid them where there's a huge bathroom in them now. Like the bathrooms, like you can actually stand up in the bathroom. You can actually use the restroom. So it's pretty cool. And in the back, uh, the coaches have their own first class section in the middle. And then the seats in the back are like regular first class for the media and everybody else traveling with the team. But like, but twice a year. So only two times a year, you have to take like these regular, like you just take a regular plane where there's nah, not really first class planes. All the planes are the, the seats are the same. And you're just, you know, you're on top of each other like a regular flight. And you won't believe, like, the moaning and groaning when we have to get on these planes. It was like, what is this whack-ass plane? Like, what the fuck is this whack-ass plane? Like, why are we on this plane? Not realizing, like, we only got to do it twice a year. And the plane isn't really that bad. It's just not what we're used to. So it's funny how you get used to certain things and you have to humble yourself at times. It's funny, though. I gotta believe you know
1: I'm six feet tall, and I find uh, particularly domestic carriers, American mm-hmm. Airlines and Delta and United, you know, even in business or first class, they've gotten real stingy around legroom. <laughs> and like I don't find it all that roomy, right? And so for you at six six, I gotta believe the regular
0: planes are just not that much fun. Yeah, they aren't. But you mean twice a year, you can handle and- it. Well, like I tell the guys, like I came in the NBA fifteen years ago and we've always had good planes. Uh but the Warriors are pretty special. we always tell this is a funny thing, we always tell the young guys, our rookies, who's like, listen, this isn't the real NBA. Like the Warriors, this isn't real. Like, this is kind of like a fantasy land. And even like I had teammates in Phillies so who be like, Man, this basketball ain't real. Like this is fantasy. We flying around in these planes, making all this money playing basketball. And, uh, but we definitely tell the guys, like, yo, this is kind of like not real life. Like, we so have. So the Warriors are even a step above your typical team. We're a step above like a good team. Wow. Cause some teams, like, you know, like I would have discussions with, uh, like, when I was in Philly, I would talk to our uh, traveling guy and he would be like, all right, we got a budget. Like, teams have budgets and some teams are really cheap. He would be like, listen, we got a budget. So, we can stay in good hotels in certain cities, but other cities we can't stay in hotels that are as good. Yeah. So he was we like, well, I say this is his idea. We stay in good hotels in good cities, bad hotels in the bad cities. Because what <laughs> difference does it make if you're in a bad city? Good point. So that's how we did it. But we had to budget all that out. But with the Warriors, it's like there's no such thing. as like everything's whatever is the best we can find. And then we would actually have food set up we have food set up everywhere we go with the Warriors. Like when we get in somewhere there's a restaurant reserved for us, we order whatever you want, food, it's all set up. And then the next day for the games, you know, there's a whole spread at the shoot around set up for you. And then after home games, it's food set up. And then, you know, uh, we get breakfast and lunch before and after practice, chefs come in and cook for you. So it's not bologna sandwiches yeah, yeah, mac yeah, and mac yeah, and cheese. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, so I'm on a certain diet. I'm like, you know, I know gluten, uh, uh, vegan and blah, 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 all You're on vegan. the list, right? Not a hundred percent getting there, but not a hundred percent. Like I, I, I have like Chick-fil-A is killing me. <laughs> so, you know, I have Chick-fil-A like once a month, maybe twice a month. Yeah. Um, yeah, but 90% of the time it's like vegan. And, and
1: you yeah. get enough protein.
0: Yeah, right, right. Once you start studying it, you can find enough protein. Like, uh, you can find it in protein, uh, beans, uh, um, really leafy greens. You get a lot of iron. You get small. So if
1: I eat my beans and my greens, I can have shoulders so like yours? Certain,
0: <laughs> certain beans. So like garbanzo beans are really good. Uh, uh, what else is good? Like any type of bean is pretty much good, but you got to be careful. Um, some beans aren't uh, like black beans and pinto beans. They're basically like hybrids. They don't really do much for you. Mm. There's no nutritional value. So like you got to be careful. But um, avocado is really good for you yeah you you just learn what to eat like and then that's what lucky being in the bay area again is like i can eat anywhere like i can just pull up to anywhere and i just food i can find something and yeah, you go to amazing like, restaurants right, right you go somewhere in the south like if you go to memphis uh you go to miami you go to charlotte uh certain places like i can't eat you just gotta you gotta figure it out
1: what's that was it um big fat greek wedding the movie there's that scene in the movie where the the gal's boyfriend says to um, her i think they're greek if i'm yeah big fat greek wedding they were greek says to the family oh you know he's vegetarian and the mother says oh great we'll get you some lamb (laughs) oh oh, wow (laughs) you know i heard that was a good movie i haven't seen it oh it's great you should it's fun it's a fun family movie too. make you smile but um yeah, it could be hard to eat vegetarian. I was vegetarian for almost a decade. And oh. traveling, you're right. The Midwest brutal. Europe at the time was brutal. Oh. You go to Paris and try to eat vegetarian, you know,
0: fifteen something years ago, and it was like forget it. It's like at the golf snack bar. I got to get on them about that. Like when you go to the golf snack bar, there's nothing to eat. I yeah. saw like chicken sandwich, chicken salad, salad, a hot dog, <laughs> uh chili. Everything has cheese, lots of cheese, lots of cheese, lots of bread, lots of meat. That's my son's diet, bread, cheese and meat. Yeah.
1: So maybe if we could talk a little bit about business, Mm -hmm. you've gotten really uh, uh, focused on startups and being an investor. And Mm -hmm. I have read and heard you talk about when you got your first E-Trade account and stuff like that. So um, tell me about why you're so interested in business and investing.
0: Well, I mean, you you have to have something to fall back on when you're done. Uh, I think when you're done, whatever you do, you know a lot of people are really locked in on their four hundred one k accounts. You know, even friends that I have back home was like, you know, I have to start focusing on you know where I invest my four hundred one uh, my four hundred one k. So for me, it's pretty similar. But as an athlete, you have access to more things, uh, especially if you have the opportunity to be in certain places where. Uh, you know, um, you're in one of the larger markets and you have access to it. You know, being in Philly, close to New York, Uh Philly's a huge market, actually. It's one of the largest markets. A lot now. of tech companies now, yeah, a lot of startups yeah, there now. A lot of things coming out of Philly. And, um, you know, growing up, uh, my favorite subject was math. So just numbers, the whole numbers thing uh, was, was always uh, gravitating towards that. <clears throat> so I always try to tr- surround myself with the right people. You know, uh, who can I put myself around that's going to hold me accountable, that's going to teach me you know what's going on in the markets what's going on in the financial world and uh it's law of attraction once you start doing that you know you, you start seeing it more and more and then you accumulate more knowledge and um that's how it started you know it started young too I, I was just curious my mom always said I was a curious child so once I put my mind to something it was like how can we uh be more into what's going on and in, were in you life. reading the
1: business section and the sports section of the newspaper
0: yeah around that time I started too. um I had some, had some good friends around my age uh, who went to Ivy League schools and um, they gave me a couple books, um, The Dummy's Guide to Investing, Standing and Poor's Guide to Investing, or Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a really good book. Because yeah. um, being from Springfield, a small town, not too many people were actually thinking about investing at all. Uh, no one, I mean, not too many. Somebody, somebody, had, my brother went to high school, my, mom, my brother's high school friends just got in trouble. He scammed a bunch of people money. Uh-oh. <laughs> it just showed you, like, you know, that's just not, like, something that's typical from an average conversation in Springfield is about business. So, um, yeah, just once I saw, like, what to read and what to get access to, uh, but it was, like, from beginner. Like, what's the difference between a stock and bond? Right. You know, like, just going at that, that, like, early. But it's good to, like, kind of humble yourself and be like, hey, I don't know how do you figure it out i think that's another thing as humans we kind of guard ourselves as we're afraid of not knowing something and afraid to say i don't know
1: we forget that everybody walks into the dojo as a white belt right. right right exactly exactly i mean i didn't know what a
0: stock and a bond was when i was 18 either right right i've seen that more and more people are like well, i don't like what's the difference and 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 I, but i always give them that books uh, rich dad poor dad I'm like man just first figure out asset liability and like i try to tell my son now like Anything you you whether you have on or that you're purchasing or that you have a liking to, he loves Fortnite. Like, just go look up who owns it and see if they have a stock, and then just follow it, and then look how much money you're pouring into it. Whether you're affecting the stock, like, and and just think of how many people are doing what you're doing, and that's where you kind of just that mind starts running, and uh, hopefully he'll understand it and have his own business one day. And
1: so how's it been for you getting involved in the Bay Area um, startup scene?
0: It's been pretty cool. You know, we just had a great conversation. Like I was talking to Kevin Durant and, and uh, Joe up and we were talking about, you know, how people are, they embrace us wanting to be in that world. Yeah. And it's like when you're other places, um, depending on the sector is not as embracing. And Joe Lakeup was like, you know, in the tech world, you know, we all have to work kind of together. We exchange uh, I mean, he's one of the godfathers, right? right? Right. And he was like, you know, I don't own all of one fund. Like my company didn't own all of one fund. You know, we're putting in with four other big firms as well as many other investors. So we're all collaborating on what's going on. How can we help this company become better? So it's all about collaboration in the tech area. And, um, it's interesting in that regard, right? That VCs yes. on one dimension are, are competitive,
1: of course. Yes. But the reality is most good companies are going to have two, three, four, maybe six or eight over time, yes. venture capitalists, uh, investment bankers, yes,
0: uh, crossover investors, whatever, on their board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the collaboration that we be we talking about. And he said where other sectors, it was more or less like you know, not letting anyone else in. Like, you know, we want to own as much as possible. Like we don't want to let anyone else on our real estate deal, or we don't want to let anyone else on our oil deal. Um, so just this area is unique in that way as well as that they've just been, they've been embraced us. And, uh, another positive or another way that helps us be embraced is, is winning. You know, you build a winning culture and people gravitate to that as well. So, um, There's
1: no company in the Bay area that wouldn't want you to come speak about how to be a winner at their company meeting. Right. 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 Exactly.
0: Exactly. But we, we let the guys, that's one of the many alarms. Um, (laughs) Does that mean we're running out of time? No, we're good. That's, That's like the nap one, but that's interesting because I always tell guys like, you know, you have to, you have to kind of reward yourself for the hard work you put in and you have to kind of build an ego as well. Like, you know, we, we've, Been able to build this great culture. We've been able to win here. Let's go use our celebrity and tap that into the the business world. And um, that's something I've done uh, with my team, my business partners. And uh, we've tried to use that as leverage to get in on companies. Well, I'm sure you know better than
1: I do, but I've seen the statistics. I've seen some of the documentaries and stuff about how 75, 80% of professional athletes, Mm -hmm. you know, several years after they retire are bankrupt or... Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, we had uh, Daryl Strawberry on the podcast, uh-huh. and uh, if I remember right, he shared with me that at 38 years old, he was bankrupt, owed several million dollars, and was living on his sister's couch, I think down in San Diego, if I remember right. You know, and at the time, he was one of the highest earning uh, baseball players in history. Uh-huh. And you know,
0: that, you hear that stuff, and it's just so shocking, it is, but it isn't, we, because two things. It is because it's like, you know, you you made all that money, um, and it's it's really it's really kind of it's hard to spend. But it isn't hard to spend because, like, once you get involved to like say like Vegas, if you're a fan of Vegas, then it becomes really easy to spend. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's you, it's not it's it's not that hard to actually blow it off because of you know. Uh, not knowing or uh, being misguided or people trying to take advantage of you, not knowing. And if you look at the background of the uh, African-American athlete, which is the majority of the athletes in the major sports, whether it be football, basketball, back then we had more in baseball, not as much anymore. But (laughs) our background in financial education is like, doesn't exist yeah. like no one told you how to balance the checkbook you know no one told you about taxes like i was just telling a friend yesterday like i'm like yeah my taxes like i was telling my friend like yo that guy's going to make a million dollars but he's only going to bring home like 4 492 or 488 or whatever and, and, and the friend of mine was like well wait hold on 50% i'm like yeah our taxes are 50% he was like i thought it was like 30 or 20 i'm like and this is like an adult that's like 34 35 years old i'm like no like it's half I would argue in California, I haven't done the
1: exact math. It's more than 50. It's pushing 60 when right. you consider, you know, your mm-hmm. taxes on your property, yep. home and sales taxes when you go to buy shit and all mm-hmm. that. Like we work for the government till July, maybe some, some, maybe even into August. Like right. We, right. we're at business
0: with uncle Sam in a deep way. Right. And I was explaining that and the athletes don't know that and you have you're having more and more seminars you're having more um conversation with uh with the leagues and their players as far as you know how to guard against it so it's like one of those things where that experience of all those bad things happening and, and it being let out in the open is kind of it's, it's being used as I wouldn't say a fear tactic but it's that fear tactic helps you know yeah we're, we're all motivated by fear at some point in our lives uh And for me, that played a part in it. Just hearing so many horror stories, and it's like, you know, how do you guard against this? Like, you know, I'm calling all the time. There's no such thing as calling your advisor too many times. It's like, where's (laughs) where's this or what? Where did these two dollars go? Like, where did this twenty dollars go? You know, my wife's a really big stickler. Was like, she's like, I know my account to the cent. I'm like, it's impossible. She was like, No, I know. So um,
1: you can get too comfortable. There's that old Mark Twain quote where he says. uh, Put, put all your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I like that one, actually. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's interesting because you could – like I was talking about before earlier about the plane. Like you can get comfortable with the plane. It was like, no, this is the plane we're in. Like this is this is the plane. I don't want to go into the plane. It's the same thing with you dealing with uh, – you're dealing with dollars is like you get comfortable with a certain lifestyle and then you, you, you go overboard with that lifestyle and you're trying to attain it and you can, and eventually it's going to run out because, and I spoke about this earlier about the window up opportunity, that window is very short. So you just try to maximize that window, but understanding that you're going to be alive to your 85, 90 years old. And it's not just about you. it's about leaving a legacy behind for yeah. the next generation and the next generation. So you, you have to think about all those factors, you know, and it's funny because I just talked about that earlier, too, is just meeting an agent and it's like you can play in the NBA. It's like all that stuff is like in the blink of an eye, you got to grow up. Right. It's like, you know, now it's, just, it's bigger than me. That's what I've learned in the last couple of years is like it's, it's much bigger than me, especially what I'm trying to do in the tech space. It's, it's not just for me. It's about how can I parlay this uh, to as, into a platform, not just for myself, but for not just basketball players, but other athletes in general. And, and, and you know, because that's really something that's powerful that can be grown. So if you're looking at a tech company
1: as a potential investor, what are the things that you look for uh, to make the
0: decision that you're going to invest? I think it's how, how can the company scale? Um, because everyone has this great idea of how this could change the world or, or what it can do to... Um, but my, my thinking is... Um, how could this uh, scale and pivot? So how can this one thing turn into everything? And you look at companies like you look at companies like uh, Amazon. It was just for what books, right? It was just books, and that thing turned into everything. Or if you look at eBay, eBay was Beanie Babies. I think it was just for Beanie Babies, like. And I think Pez
1: dispensers. It was shit yes, like that in the yes, beginning. Yeah,
0: stuff like that, and then that just turned into just everything. You know, and then you said something interesting earlier. It was like, how can you uh, build something that hasn't been built, but then everyone's gonna try to follow that yes. in the future? Uh, it's in a great book called "Play Bigger" <laughs> that I will be reading soon. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, just looking at companies that are uh, starting off as something like really specific or niche in their own category that that they're really focused on, and then they'll just expand that into all other categories. It's so interesting you say that
1: because, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years Mm -hmm. and you just said something, Andre, that I think a lot of people don't get, Mm -hmm. which is to be successful, you got to start in a fairly tight niche. Yes. And the crazy thing is by niching down over time, you're able to go big and wide, right? Yes. But you got to be known for something in the beginning and then to your point, is it is it scalable? You know, you mentioned Amazon. I was um, in New York at a Goldman Sachs conference when Bezos was on the road taking the company public, and mm. he was the lunchtime speaker, mm-hmm. and everybody knew it was going to be big. And I sat there, you know, with everybody else, and watched him give the IPO roadshow pitch for Amazon. And even back then, he said we're starting with books. He talked about why, and then he said, but we think we can add categories. And there was this. I don't know. It felt like to me, this collective shiver down the spine, like, holy shit, this guy's going to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Like, and I I don't think he could have imagined it would be what it is today, but make no mistake. He started with that niche category and he wanted to go for it all afterwards. Yeah. And he's going for it all. Oh my God. It's crazy, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. I mean, watching it go, did you see this announcement about the, the, um, you know, they got they're, they're saying now that maybe they're going to do multiple headquarters because they got all these cities wanting to give them all right. these Scooby they Snacks. Got, <laughs> they got
0: two headquarters, twenty five thousand employees each. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's going to be crazy, and, and everybody's and fighting over them. So. Everybody's fighting over it, and 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 I am I am. Is it Is it is it insider trading? If I am trying to find out where they go next before anyone else,
1: not if un- unless Bezos or a senior executive tips you off, then no. That's oh. not it. In, insider trading is. I'm an insider. That is to say, oh, I have true. material inside information. I know what city they're going to go to, and I say, "Hey, Andre, they're going to right. DC or right, wherever." Right. That's insider trading. It's gonna be. A and lie. by the way, when I do that, I go to jail, and you go to jail if we act on it.
0: Right. Well, a football player just went to jail for insider trading. Oh, I didn't see that. It was a football player just, and he pleaded guilty.
1: Yeah, that's that's heavy. Yeah, that was interesting.
0: <laughs> that was interesting.
1: So if I was a startup uh, CEO mm-hmm. and I was talking to you about investing, maybe let me turn the tables on you quickly mm-hmm. and say, so, hey, Andre, um, you know, what can you do to help us build and scale our business
0: um, from where you sit? Well, I've uh, seen, I've been in, investing in about 30 to 40 companies, about 34, 35 companies um, through consumer products, through enterprise um, <clears throat> through a lot of different uh, investments and um, I've been able to make the parallel from the tech or the startup world and sports. Um, I've seen the company, I've seen the team start from the bottom and how do they grow and what do they implement? How do they build the right culture? Are they on the right track? You know, uh, it goes from getting the right talent um, and not just talent, but the right talent. That's a big thing, you know, um, I think uh, Steve Jobs spoke about that. He didn't quite fit in with with everyone else. Yeah. So what were they? What did they do? They changed his hours of work. It's like okay, you work from this time when no one else is here because you're you have that right amount of talent, but we don't want that to be a conflict with everyone else or everyone else being a conflict with you. So, you know, um, to having the right coach, that was like you know, to having the right coach, who, who a supervisor, put him in the right place to where he can succeed, and you know. Uh, You know, Wozniak, Woz had a different perspective on things as well, where he was a little different. So they say, you know, you be you over here. And and that's all about having the right pieces in place and um, growing not too fast, but growing at a steady pace, Uh, getting the right people on your board. You know, I've been able to – Built, network with the right people who've been on a lot of successful boards. Uh, I'm talking about big time companies. And do you think you'd like to do that when you're done playing? Yeah, I would love to do that. Uh, I have a, uh, I have, I have some close friends who are, uh, who aren't known. No one, they aren't household names. Like no one knows who these guys are on. That sits on a lot of boards and i learn learned a lot from them. Do you know Brent Jones by any chance? Brent Jones. Does that name ring a bell?
1: He was a uh, world champion, um, Super Bowl champion. Multi-tier. 49ers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know Brent Jones. And yeah yeah right. He was a tight end
1: that's right, yeah, and end. he won three or four championships, yeah, or four. yes, and he made the successful transition, had an incredible career mm-hmm. as a venture capitalist mm-hmm. uh, he, he's been on the podcast mm-hmm. he and you know, I've actually done business with Brent, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, there is no honor more honorable person in my career than Brent Jones. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know a ton, ton of guys in your world, of course, but of the few that I know, he's made that transition from athlete to professional investor and mm-hmm. heart. You know, someone who really helped a lot of startups over time.
0: That's interesting because it's in the Bay Area, and there's a lot of guys, or a couple guys from that team who have crossed over. You know, yeah, Ronnie Lott has crossed over. Uh, Joe Montana does a lot of great things in the business world. Um, he does some a lot of investing as well in startups. Uh, uh, he has his own wine as well, so he's doing a lot of business things. Um, so, yeah, a lot of those guys that had success on those 49ers teams are, you know, getting into that tech world. So is that where you see yourself in, I don't know, 10 or 15 years? Yeah, I would like to be a kind of a, a renaissance man of it all. Uh, that being kind of the hub of everything, like everything's centered around that. And uh, But the, the basketball piece, you know, I feel like I have a decent knowledge of the game of basketball where – um you know, like Steve Nash comes in a couple of times uh, a year and he's an advisor to our team and he'll work oh, out with the cool. guys, which is really cool. Fresh faces. See, we don't get tired of him, but he's got the respect because of the, you know, the career he's built for himself. And, um, and, and so that being there, and then, you know, I got some, a few fashion things that I'm doing, uh, fashion startup, you know, I'm working with that that has a chance to do some really cool things as well. And uh, curating some looks and look books and, Seeing the ins and out of that company, um, so yeah, it's just it's a lot of different places that I can go, and and but I want everything to be centered around it, the tech hub. You know, it's interesting too. I've gotten to know Bill Walton, mm-hmm.
1: and he's that he's a Renaissance man, mm-hmm. right? He mm-hmm. just he just opened a new gym down yeah. in San Diego. I oh, don't okay. know if you saw that, and he's involved with a bunch of companies, mm-hmm. and obviously he speaks. He does a lot of stuff for the community and yes. charities, and yes. of course he still broadcasts. Yes. And so he seems like a real Renaissance guy. He's still mm-hmm. deeply in basketball, but he does all this other really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, um played basketball uh, in college with his son, Luke. Did you really? So Luke was my college teammate. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, Is it fun for, to play yeah.
1: against him now, especially with LeBron down there and
0: all that? Uh, you know what? Luke and I are like really cool. So it's like weird. It's not like I'm trying to kill Luke. I just want to beat the Lakers. But uh, Luke's doing a great job uh, with the young guys over there uh, since he's been there. So uh, well, How long was he with the Warriors? He was with us for... Was it a year or two? I think he was, was. I think he was that. He though. was with us for two years, but he was assistant okay. coach. No, he was with us for two years because he took over a lot of time for Steve in his second year, and um, he was with us for two years, and uh, he did a great job. Uh, I consider Luke like family, so that's like my man. It's, it's always weird. Uh, I want him to win, but not necessarily necessarily the Lakers to win. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> not just this year, but always been like that. Like I don't want anyone to win, but us. But it's weird. It's like. I, I kind of want Luke, Luke to succeed though. So yeah, it'd be funny how
1: that plays out. Interesting. Now I want to be super respectful of your time, Andre. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to talk
0: about before, uh, before the game clock runs out on us here? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess I probably was ended by saying, you know, just, um, I have this, like, you know, this focus or this goal to kind of like start something, uh, that will, you know, stand the test of time will last long after I'm gone. Um, especially in the tech space and bringing it back to like, as I spoke about it before being where I'm from, you know, you don't, there's there's casual conversation. Isn't about the business world. Isn't about tech tech. It isn't about stocks and bonds or those type of things. And just bringing that into the conversation of for the communities that are similar to the one that I grew up in. And um, I have a really good friend who's uh, really passionate about it as well. So uh, we're looking at some spaces to kind of start it, you know, and uh, you know, I'm putting it out there to hold myself accountable and to put it, that energy out there that, you know, that's something I'm going to be passionate about. I am passionate about and i want to do. Well, you let me know if I can help. <laughs> um, I've been
1: involved with a, um, a, a nonprofit called one life fully lived. Mm-hmm. And a big thing that we do in that nonprofit is work in kind of underserved, underprivileged parts of the country mm-hmm. to help teach entrepreneurship, help teach financial responsibility is mm-hmm. kind of the foundation mm-hmm. yes. for building. Yes. a legendary life starts with handling your finances, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so um, this is a big area of passion for me as well.
0: Oh, good to hear. Well, I definitely will be reaching out to you and appreciate that. I I know I do some stuff with Black Girls Code. They came to my tech summit and uh, the CEO spoke to us there. So um, I haven't done anything specifically with them, but that's a great organization. And uh, Hidden Geniuses is is a great organization that teaches young young African-American men how to uh, code and then they go out and teach others how to code as well so there's some great organizations out there and I uh, just want to continue to support those platforms
1: awesome and you thank let me know if I can help Andre uh, thank you all right thank you brother there he is Andre Godala. I sure hope you enjoyed that and I sure hope you're enjoying the NBA finals now if you don't know your numbers you don't know your business and that's where my friends at NetSuite come in You want to be on top of the seminal numbers that drive your business and most importantly drive your growth. Imagine having every critical number you need at your fingertips, on your smartphone, anytime, anywhere. That's what NetSuite makes happen. With some awesome dashboards you can stay on top of sales, finance, accounting, of course your orders, your cash flow, your inventory, your HR, and even CRM, your customers. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business, and a disproportionate amount of the companies that have recently been going public have used NetSuite to fuel their growth, and now it's available to you and it's surprisingly cost-effective. As a listener to this oddcast, I encourage you to go to netsuite.com/different and there you can set up a free 1-hour growth review with an expert in your industry to help identify opportunities for growth netsuite.com/different because with Netsuite you'll always know. Speaking of knowing, you can find us at Lockhead, l o c h h e a d dot And even if you subscribe on a um, uh, you know podcast player like Stitcher or Overcast or Apple Podcasts or some or um, Spotify, uh, we have a lot a lot of new listeners on Spotify, which is totally cool. The only way we know you're there is when you go to Lockhead.com and you subscribe to our newsletter. And I promise you, A, we're working hard to deliver awesome content some of the key learnings from the podcast and other things. Um, and, um, and B, we will never, ever, ever sell your subscriber name, your email to anybody. So go to Lockhead.com and hit subscribe. If you want to email us, email blackhole at Lockhead.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lockhead. All right, we would like to thank the incredible Andre Iguodala and the Golden State Warriors. You can find Andre on both Twitter and Instagram, at Andre, and remember his new book, The Sixth Man, comes out on June 25th, 2019. Uh, The Mission Daily Podcast, a podcast for smart people who want to get even smarter. It's one of my favorites. Amazon, number one bestseller, Niche Down, by Heather Clancy and myself. How to become legendary by being different. Check it out at Lockhead.com. The amazing folks at one dot live.org dream, plan, and live your less best life. <laughs> Go to onelifefully live dot org slash C Lockhead to learn more about our conference in October in beautiful Long Beach, California. Now, if you're entrepreneurial and you want to grow yourself and grow your business, why not check out the awesome content at growwire.com. And if you want to get back one of the most valuable things we all have, which is time, why not check out Bottleneck Virtual Assistants and leverage the power of a virtual assistant at bottleneck.online. And the amazing folks at Habitat for for Humanity. Their vision is of a world where everyone has a place to live. Check out habitat.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and all rights do remain perturbed. Uh, we must warn you that this podcast is clearly produced in a studio that does contain nuts. And uh, speaking of production, we're produced by the nicest man in podcasting, Jamie J. edited by none other than Sarah Parrish and Mike Gee, show notes by Roanne Nostros, and email newsletter by Karen and Christine Onahog. Remember to teach kids sports, learn how to dribble, support your local NBA team. Remember the sage words of uh, Tom Waits who said, fishing for a good time starts with throwing in your line. Buy John's crazy socks. Remember, going slow in the left-hand lane is illegal in many states in the United States. So get out of the left-hand lane if you're not moving. Thank you, Candy Dandy. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to the Toronto Raptors. Sorry, Raptors. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. It means the world to me that you would invest part of your life with us. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your dick.